You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. An ode to being single. An ode to being alone. Hi. I'm alone. I'm single. I've been mostly single for 21 years now. And by mostly, I mean all of it, (laughs) except maybe four months, if you add up the different women I've dated, literally just dated. I really never had a girlfriend in 21 years. And some would say that that indicates that there's something very, very wrong with me. And although they'd be right, what it really indicates is that it's um, challenging to find a partner. But what it really indicates is it's especially challenging to find a partner when you ain't looking. Because I would say for the past, for the, for the, for the better part of the past uh, 15 or 16 years, I haven't really been looking. I uh, started out strong after my divorce, uh, really pushing to find someone else because that's what happens, you know, when, uh, when you're used to marriage let alone, you know, having a girlfriend. <clears throat> it's a very naked feeling to be without that. And so you tend to seek out companionship. Now, don't get me wrong, companionship, even all these years later, is something that would be nice, that can be nice, that is sometimes nice. Uh, we all know the, uh, the perks to having a partner, the perks of partnership. Our culture sells that enough. What they don't sell enough are the perks of being alone. Uh, The benefits of being... uh, I couldn't find another B word. If you can, send me a note. I'll I'll edit this podcast. The, (laughs) The benefits of being... Beside an empty bed. The the benefits of being in bed and going bye-bye to sleep. <laughs> anyway, without anybody else in bed with you. Um, you know, there was a song by Barbara Streisand. And no, I'm not a gay a sh- fan of show tunes. But uh, my sister was. My sister is gay. No, she's not. But <laughs> but she, we had a couple of Barbara Streisand. We both got. We, we were listening a lot to the Star Is Born album from Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson back in the day. You know, I just listened to that the other day, and oh my god, it was really awful. It was really awful. Um, but we used to listen to it over and over and over again. Steady, steady. Have your tickets ready. Chris Christopherson, you know, is the worst. Okay. Um, but he's been in some famous movies that are still rated at five stars, like Zabriskie Point and what other terrible movies has he been, been in then? And he was the lead in, in Heaven's Gate, and I do still admire that film for Michael Cimino's grandiose excess. But he was terrible in it. Um, my mom used to like him, though, so I have to lay off. Chris Christopherson, because she thought he was attractive in some way. But uh, Barbara Streisand, after that album, we, we, we got an album called Superman, or my sister did. And she really liked that album as well. And I believe it was on that album, Superman, that there was a song about an ode to being alone. And, uh, you know, the lyric was something, the effect of... Uh, Half an hour in the shower, use the water while it's hot. Ba ba ba. In other words, you can use the shower, all the water, and don't have to worry about saving it for someone else. Uh, and there were other things in the song that were a list, let's say, a list of reasons why it's great to be alone. And um, so that's what I thought I'd, I'd 
compiled here, although I'm not really into doing a list because I don't have them anything written down. And I don't think brainstorming <clears throat> um, items is something that any of us are good at, and certainly not me at my current age of early onset Alzheimer's. Um, but I did want to just talk about it to put it out there to normalize it because I think being alone and being single is still stigmatized by our culture. I mean, the tax laws and all laws seem to benefit couples, certainly financially. Couples are, are way ahead of the game. Um, the cost of, 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 of living has gone up so high, the price of rent in particular, if you don't own a home. Um, but then even if you do own a home, the cost of uh, upkeep of that home you know, it really helps to have two incomes uh, pitching in. And today, today you do have two incomes. So women aren't home anymore. No one's home. So if you have a partner, everybody's working. So you have two incomes, but you're only paying one rent. And um, one heat bill, one electric bill, one cable bill, you know. Um, probably the only thing you'd double up on still or have individual bills for would be, you know, transportation. And, and the costs of that car, um, food, obviously, but food can be, can be made more economical too. If you can make group items, uh, you know, and eat them together. If you find that you can make some dishes that you both approve of, but, uh, it, 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 so they really do get the benefit. Couples get the benefit financially. They get the benefit legally, uh, for things like weddings or going out. Uh, they get the benefit of looking like they're not alone, like they're not a loser. Um, traveling, going on trips, you have someone to share that scary experience with. It, it, there's something lonely about traveling alone. I've tried it a couple times, and um, I haven't traveled hardly at all in 21 years since my divorce because I've been mostly single, and that's why I haven't. But I have tried it a couple times in order to Damn it, just do it. But it, it, there's something that feels, it's beautiful, but it's very like, a, it's like a Morrissey, it's like a Smith song uh, to be traveling alone. Every moment you wake up and you feel like you're trapped in the lyrics of a Smith song. And um, <laughs> because it's just uh, a barrage of sadness that overwhelms you, even when you're doing something and you're really enjoying it and you're really happy, then you just get this, you look around you, uh, like I was on a speedboat in Chicago out on the Lake Michigan and crowded into this boat and we're looking at the city from the from the water and he would speed around, you know, for some exciting moments and then stop and then and, and tell little stories, you know, like they do on those tours. And um I was just hit with profound sadness because I looked and everybody was a mother and their children and couples. And I was the only one. I, I didn't see any other single men or single women or anybody that was single other than the, the boat captain tour guide. Um, and it just, in that sort of sense, it was kind of pretty and interesting. And I felt like an observer and as a writer um, and poet and songwriter, I guess I can kind of put that skin on and feel comfortable. The observer, the outcast, the sort of I'm here, but I'm not really here kind of feeling. I'm looking on and I'm absorbing everything. And I'm going to translate it into art later that you will all love, hopefully. And that, uh, and then I've done my job here. And the fact that I'm alone here isn't weird then because I've actually served as a, form, a correspondent of sorts. I as to the things that are happening under the surface, the emotions being expressed that you all can't really be bothered to see because you're into each other and the company you're with. And that is true when you think about it, right? And that's a benefit of being alone that I'm coming up with without making a list. So here we go. We're off. We're off and running, folks. The, uh, the reality is when you're out with family or friends or your partner and you're at a restaurant or even in a museum, um, anywhere you would go, uh, at a, at a sporting event, um, I guess on a trail would be a little different because you really are isolated if you're out in nature, then it, then you are observing. 
So if you're if you're doing something in nature and there's not other people around, really. Um, but even, say, a beach. I mean, when you're with other people, you're kind of, you might, you sneak glances and you, and you might try uh, to find little moments where you're observing others and noticing things that are going on. I mean, you're, none of us live in a vacuum, but especially if you're with a partner, you really got to sneak those glances. I mean, because God forbid you be looking at someone of the opposite gender and, and piss her off, him or her off. I mean, so... Uh, the observing of others and the witnessing of life around you is kind of drawn in. Your antenna is sort of drawn in. And also because you're often engaged in conversation with your partner. You're often engaged in, you know, you and your partner partner sorting things out. Or if you're with family, the chaos of your brothers, sisters, you know, and, and everybody's sort of working towards the goal of being out there. But you feel... You know, because I did some traveling with family, and you do feel, and, and and with my wife, you almost feel like the environment is there to entertain you. You go out when you're with others, and it's like, okay, Philadelphia, show us what you got. Okay, you know, Atlanta, show us what you got. Okay, Outer Banks, so, you know, show us your, your charm. Uh, entertain us. Give us your best shot. And because we're here together, us, a group or a couple. Um, so it's on you to make us happy. You know, we came here, do something for us. Where when you're alone, you're not looking to be entertained. You're kind of like, you feel, it's almost, it's almost, it's slightly terrifying. It's kind of like being in a dream and you just sort of drift out into the atmosphere and every corner you turn and every uh, when you look up or down, you, you're a little afraid of what you might see because you truly are, uh, your antenna is all the way up and you are taking it in and you almost want to not be seen. You go out in the world and you're, it's, it's scarier uh, because you don't have anybody to be a group with to, to you know to conversate with uh you know you conversating i'm conversating here i'm conversating here you can't uh hide behind that so you really are vulnerable um to homeless people coming up to you they love to come up to you uh people alone uh, especially guys walking alone um you're vulnerable to groups of other people who might be out to do nefarious things you know, oh, let's go get that guy. He's walking alone. I remember the video here in Pittsburgh of a of an art teacher from from downtown school walking down this alley, and there was a surveillance camera on. So that's how we saw this video. But and there was this group of kids coming back, street kids, you know, and uh, one just just socked them. They were doing that thing around the country where they were just randomly punching people in the head, and then one kid just jumped up and socked this this. Uh, art teacher right in the head and just knocked him out cold, went down on the, on the ground, you know. And they had that video, and they were trying to get those uh, kids, uh, those actors. But uh, they just kept walking after they did it. But so you're, you're vulnerable, you know. And um, But again, because you're alone, uh, you're, you're watching. And it's not about entertain me. It's like, let me see. Let me see what we have here. And then you're at a table and you hear people talking and you're listening because you're not talking. And um, and you can actually talk to the help more. Waitresses, waiters, bartenders, anybody you come in, people, concierge, at the hotels, you can chit-chat more because you're alone. Uh, where <laughs> when you're with a partner, you know, <laughs> don't want to be chatting up that waitress with your girlfriend sitting there, your wife. So... Uh, you learn more about the area and things to do. And you get a more sense for the feel of the people by talking to them. And you talk to them more when you're alone. So there is, um, there's a great sadness that is constantly there when you're alone traveling. But there's also a tremendous amount of learning going on and experience. And, uh, you know, personally, I haven't done much of it because I, I, it was all a bit too much for me. It was all a bit overwhelming. I'm a pretty sensitive guy to begin with. 
you know, as my, because of my artistic uh, interests and uh, uh, my my uh, <clears throat> my my general uh, perceptiveness is pretty high to begin with, um, because I am uh, inclined to uh, perceive things uh, that others maybe didn't or don't, because I am um, always sort of interpreting it in a non-literal way. I'm always kind of, um, transferring it to some other form of expression, words, notes, visuals, something to, um, to better capture what, that, what I'm feeling from what I'm seeing or hearing. Um, that's because that's what really art does. It's like a it's like a translation. It's a translation of the literal into something that others can feel. Because um, everybody has their own feeling, I, I guess, when you see a beautiful sunset or experience anything, smell a smell on the beach, or you know. But, but it, when you can convey that uh, that's that feeling you have to others. Uh, in a way that, especially if it's something they relate to, that they felt too, but they kept to themselves and nobody talked about. That's real connection. That's a deeper connection, really, than you can have in general conversation. Um, so as an artist, we're, we're being bent toward the artist vein. I am uh, pretty sensitive to begin with when I go out. So going out alone, travel out of my element, uh, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it can be very exciting, but it makes my head spin as well. It's draining. It's draining. And, um, and like I said, I, I, I found a constant sort of profound sadness, a pall cast over all events because I was alone, because your aloneness is highlighted. It's exaggerated when you travel alone. You feel it that much more. But you feel everything that much more, and that is a plus. And you really can actually experience things more when you see them alone. Movies, anything. You really do listen to an, you know, an album, music. When you are alone, it hits you harder because you're focused on it more because you're alone. <clears throat> And I, I, you know, I, I hesitate to mention this one because it seems a little, I know people are very judgmental about substance use. And if you ever acknowledge to anybody that you drink uh, alone, uh, you're automatically considered an alcoholic, it seems, by so many people. And people in particular with respect to alcohol love to use that word, alcoholic. They seem to really love it. Even when it's not true, I mean, even when there's obviously a difference between an alcoholic and someone who drinks and someone who enjoys drinking and someone who may enjoy drinking frequently, there's still not, there's still a difference between an alcoholic and someone like that. And, um, you know, you have to know alcoholics to know that. And you have to understand the science of alcoholism and understand that it is a disease to know that. And you have to know yourself and know that. You can stop whenever you want to know you're not an alcoholic, to know that you're not an addict. Um, but having said all of that, my name is, and I am not an alcoholic, but I got this chip. I got this chip. That's my Michael Keaton from Clean and Sober. I got this chip. So, whew, what's next year going to be like? Anyway, um, <laughs> I I, uh, I hesitate to say it because people are so judgmental, but I enjoy drinking alone because, um, you know, when I'm, and I don't mean out, I mean at home. I enjoy drinking at home alone because when I'm out um, with people, the drinking becomes uh, sort of a lube for expressiveness and interaction. And things can get wound up. Things can get wound up with anger or things can get wound up with joy or just silliness or, you know, it's just sort of like a turbocharged uh, mouthpiece ornament when you drink out. And um, when you drink out alone, um, again, there's that perceptiveness and that watching, but it, it becomes sad. 
But when you drink at home alone, you're not perceiving others. You're not out of your element. You are really internalizing things. And the lube that comes from alcohol is one that makes you um, come up with some wonderful perspectives that you might not have reached sober. Um, and when I call alcohol lube, you know what I mean, right? I mean, it, it's, 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 it reduces inhibitions and it, and it permits you to go places you might otherwise have hesitated to go to in your thought process, in your speech. So out, it has one effect. But when you're home alone, it lubes up and, and, and reduces inhibitions for your own kind of analysis. And I don't mean in a critical way or a harsh way. Sometimes, sometimes if you have the wrong drink. But if you find the right alcohol that suits you right, that, uh, that gives you that nice, mellow feeling and relaxes you and helps you, frees you up, you can find drinking alone at home the ability to really do some of your greatest art if you're an artist, the ability to um, watch movies and listen to music and feel them and see them in ways that you never would have otherwise that can really be profound and beautiful. And like I said, it's not scary. And it really is not depressing. I mean, people think of someone drinking alone or even, I suppose, using pot alone at home and think of that as like some sort of addicted, awful, depressing, dark thing. And maybe it is for some, okay, uh, the, the addicts. But, I mean, I'm just here to say, as for me, someone who is a confirmed non-addict, absolutely 1,000% not an alcoholic, never have been, never will be. Um, I've tested it many times. I've been aware of it, concerned about it. You know, you never want to uh, kid yourself when it comes to substance use. So you've got to stay on top of that. Uh, we've all done things we regret uh, when we use substances. And uh, probably in many ways, all of us would be better off if we never ever used them. But having said that, I mean, there's still a difference between the addicts and, and, and those that just enjoy them. And, and then there's the, the balance of enjoying them in moderation and in a way that isn't destructive to you and to those around you. And, and that's tough for everybody because uh, as it's true for food, as it's true for how fast you drive your car, uh, there are many things in life that we have to work on moderating, using but using cautiously so as to not go over that line and make something that it was otherwise fun, destructive, right? That's true about a lot of things. And it's true about substances. But that that's a completely different discussion than from labeling some labeling something an addict or a junkie or an alcoholic or whatever, uh, just because they happen to enjoy imbibing in solitude. Um, but the reality is that it's not sad. And it's not dark and depressing to drink alone. Not if, I suppose, you're an artist, at least, or not if you find the right uh, mix, like I said, and do it in the right moderation. It can be just a wonderful time. It's a way to turn an otherwise perhaps sad and dark experience. I'm home. I'm alone. I don't have anyone. I'm bored. I'm just flipping through the TV, listening to music. This sucks. Suddenly you add a little alcohol or whatever your substance of choice is, if it's legal, if it's legal, or if it's not, shh, no, if it's legal, then uh, you can turn that boring night, that sad night, that sad experience, that sad day even, um, into, a, into a pleasant experience, into a, into a rewarding, fun time alone. Um, and that's just reality. So there, I've said it and I put it out there. I'm not encouraging people to drink alone or whatever alone necessarily, but I'm just saying a truth that I've discovered in my life, which is some of my best times drinking have been times drinking alone. Maybe all of them even <laughs> have been me drinking alone. Um, certainly when I when I feel like I've, I've come upon epiphanies and just felt things uh, in much more real ways. And I've enjoyed movies a lot more when I'm drinking sometimes. And um, they make me cry, make me laugh more. And I just, you know, and I remember them very distinctly. Uh, 
something about drinking can really make things burn into your into your senses and your synapses more. Um, other things that are good to do alone, um, walking, right? Obviously, it's fun to do alone as long as you you know have music with you or otherwise are not in a place with tons of other people. Like I said, that can be overwhelming and a little bit scary uh, if you're out among people alone. Um, but if you go to a nice location, a path, a trail around a lake, uh, it can be a really beautiful experience to go into nature and to see and to have the silence and to be able to take that all in um, on your own. And I think cooking alone can be wonderful because you can pace it. You're not uh, setting a place for multiple people. You're not getting five different things together to set a table full of uh, op- you know, options. You are just uh, making yourself something for dinner that you like. And so you probably keep it as simple as you can because you, know, you don't have to impress anyone. But it's something you like. And, um, and there's something nice about preparing it and then sitting down and eating it and saying you made that. Now, there's nothing nice about cleaning up after cooking. But <laughs> that's when it helps to have a partner. You take turns and all that. But, uh, but I think cooking alone can be nice. I think dying alone is a thing that scares most people because, um, and, and rightfully so in the sense that as you get older, you're more inclined to maybe have a heart attack or fall or have some sort of an accident. And if you had a partner there, they could help save your life. Um, whereas if you, if something happens to you and you're alone in your home, you know, they have those commercials, I've fallen and I can't get up. You wear those things around your neck. I mean, you can make fun of them, but the reality is if you, if you don't get to your phone, uh, and even if you do get to your phone, they're going to break your door down, right? I mean, you, your door's usually probably like mine is bolted, locked from the inside when you're home. How are they going to even get in to help you? I mean, there's some real issues here. And if you don't get to the phone, then you don't get resuscitated and you're dead because you didn't have a partner. And that's very true. And that's a very harsh reality. But look, if you have a heart attack in your 50s or 40s, young, uh, and you could have been resuscitated, that that's worth it. But I'm thinking if I'm going to have some accident or problem befall me in my late 70s, 80s, whenever, even early 70s, I want to get to 70. But I'm thinking once I get to 70, that's okay if that's the end. I don't I don't know that I want to go through my final years with all these health issues. You know what I'm saying? So this might be a little bit morose spin on the on the subject of being alone and what's good about it. But I'm thinking that something bad health-wise happening to you when you're alone and of a certain age, for me over 70, that's kind of better than um, being there with someone who helps you stay alive. Um, (laughs) Kind of better than a partner that keeps you ticking. Because, like I said, I mean, I think one of the more distressing um, thoughts about life, well, not as death, not as death, not, Death isn't. I mean, it is. If if you're inclined to think that way, I guess. If you really love life, if you really think it's great to be here, then I guess uh, death is distressing to you. But if you're pretty much accepting that you're going to die, you've been thinking about it all your life, and you're kind of sort of ready, you know, and you're not terrified of the concept of nothingness, whether or not you believe in an afterlife, you know, you're ready. Um, then I don't know why you'd want, I think more scary than death is to think about living real long, but in an unhealthy state, you know? I mean, my dad's turning 84 in a, in a month but or so, month and a half, but uh, he's still pretty damn healthy. He's still very, very damn healthy, actually. Uh, his girlfriend, um, you know, is relatively healthy too she has some lower extremity pains and issues that she's been dealing with more and more um but my dad's very healthy so sure okay i guess if i could get to that age and be healthy like that yeah i'd I'd like to stay alive but i also think that my dad uh if he has a stroke today 
he could hang in there another 10 years after a stroke, but I don't think it's going to be very nice. So he lives alone still, except on the weekends when he's with his girlfriend. Would he rather have the stroke on a weekend where his girlfriend could be there, get the ambulance, they can save him? Or would he rather have it during the week? And maybe that's it, you know? Or would he, you know, because it's a question of rehab and all that after a stroke, you know, if it's a serious one. Who wants to live like that, especially in your 80s? You get that far and you're healthy and everything's great, then you have some massive thing happen. Do you really want to live out another 10 years or so all fucked up, that old? Then I bet your bones do ache. Then I bet all the things that weren't really bothering you because you were in a healthy state suddenly are pretty damn painful and suck, you know? So I don't know. Same with Alzheimer's. Uh, when you lose dementia, when you start losing your concept of what's going on, do we really want to hang in there long enough for that? Now, in terms of being alone, you can't go through that alone. You can't, you know, that, that would be a disaster and people catch on and then you get committed to a home and all that kind of crap. <laughs> but but my point is, I think there's something to be said. Look, if you're going to start developing health problems, the idea that, well, you want to have a partner to rescue you from dying, I'm not sure that's true. At a certain age, I'm not sure you should really want to be rescued from dying from a serious health issue that creeps up on you or comes at you all of a sudden at a certain age. I'm not sure that it wouldn't be better for you. Uh, for us, when it's happening to us, to say, okay, I'm ready. That's it. Take me out. Take me out. I don't want to survive this. I don't want to deal with this the rest of my life. Think about cancer. I mean, if you're a lot of older people get it. I mean, a lot of people, it's amazing. You think, well, cancer, that's what something you get and you, it kills you in your, your 50s and 60s. And it's like, not necessarily. I see a lot of people getting pancreatic cancer, other things dying in their 70s and 80s, you know. And, um, could happen to me. Could happen to any one of us. Um, it's a big cause of death. Heart disease and cancer. Those are the leading two. Always will be, probably. Do you want to get that? Do you want to get cancer in your 70s and then and then go through surgery and radiation and chemotherapy in your 70s? You know, and probably have it not work. <laughs> so you go through like a year and a half, two years, two and a half years of that shit and die anyway. And your last two and a half years is going through that. Now, granted, that's when you need a partner. Because if you're going to get cancer, you can't exactly say, that's it, I'm just going to let it fester. You have to, I guess you have to treat it. And um, and you need a partner to drive you to the appointments. And you know what I mean? It just becomes a nightmare to be alone with going through something that's debilitating like that. So I don't know why I spiraled into that subject. That's not about what's good to do alone. But I guess what I'm just getting at is that, um, you know, when you get to a certain age, uh, whatever can take you out when you're alone is okay. Would you rather live longer and then get cancer alone? No. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what if, what if you were single and you had a heart attack and you could have died but uh, you lived past it and got cancer, and now you have to die alone of cancer. Uh, but you lived past it because you weren't single. You had a girlfriend. You have a heart attack, but you have a girlfriend. So you survive. But, but then she leaves you, and you get cancer, and you die alone of cancer. I mean, what a terrible break that would be. <laughs> Wouldn't she be saying, God, I wish I had died of that heart attack alone? Why was my girlfriend there? Why did I have to have a girlfriend? Only to three years later get this cancer and die. I don't know. It's an interesting way to think about death, isn't it? Alone versus with someone. I mean, honestly, we think about life that way. But do we think about the process of dying and what it means? And I I guess it's very scary to be dying, I would imagine. Um, I know from watching my mother go through it, it seemed like it was a hell of a thing. Um, it's a tough thing to be dying every day to still be alive, but to know that you're dying. We're all dying, but I mean, to know that you have something that's taking you out and that's very specific that you're being treated for. It's a tough thing. And I, I imagine it would be that much more tough to go through that alone. So I guess that's a real strong reason not to be alone. 
in the end is if you have to go through death, if it isn't sudden, then it's certainly, I think it would be better to go through that with someone with you. Um, less scary, less everything. I mean, someone that can bring you a meal, someone who can hold your hand even. Um, God, why did I... This is a this is an ode to being a single. This is an ode to being alone. Why? Why? Why did I go down that avenue? I don't know. But look, that's for then. Fuck it. I mean, in the end, maybe that's going to happen to us all. So maybe that's exactly why being alone sucks. But so what? Let's not think about that. Let's not think about that. Let's pretend we aren't going to die. Let's pretend we aren't going to die alone and scared and terrified and nobody gives a shit about us in our places alone. Let's block that out of our minds. And let's just still think about that hour in the shower, use the water while it's hot, Barbara Streisand line. Let's think about you can watch anything you want on the TV anytime you want, including sports 24-7 if that's what you're made of. And nobody can say, oh, my God, not another sporting event. And yes, it is. But I hate golf. Who cares? It's on, babe. You know, you could just put on whatever you want. Anything you want. You can play your music loud unless you're around an apartment and then you really can't play it loud. But you can put your headphones on and you can crank it out and nobody can bother you. Uh, if you want to be a pig, you can be a pig. If you want to leave dishes everywhere and then just collect them up once a month <laughs> or throw them away once the food is corroded on them so much that they obviously will never wash clean. Whatever you want to do, you can do it, you know. If you want to take a day off from showering here and there, although I don't advise it very often, but I mean because I happen to be a little bit of a neat freak here. But if you want to do that, you get to do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can not shower. It's all right. Um, if you spontaneously want to go to a movie, you can get up and drive to the movie theater. Although not right now. I wouldn't advise it unless you're wearing a mask. Wearing a mask in a theater is a little bit creepy to me. But, I mean, you can, you can come up with things to do on the spot spontaneously and do them. And no one can tell you no. And you don't have to do things you don't like. You don't have to watch TV shows or movies you don't want to watch. You don't have to hear music playing in the other room that you hate from an artist that makes you puke. Like, let's say you hate country music and you're girlfriend loves it you don't have to tolerate that crap you know you don't have to tolerate oh my god i thought of a really big one here someone else's family because <laughs> family can be a pain in the ass we all know this they can be overbearing obnoxious and and just nasty and draining and you don't have to deal with that you don't have to pretend to love dad on the other side or you know cousin joe or whoever you just don't have them. They don't exist, you know? And even in your own family, when you're alone, you can be isolative and sort of pull away from them and not have to deal with the drama that's going on that other people are all pitching in and dealing with and, you know, sharing. And maybe you hear it blowing in the wind, a little rumor about X, Y, or Z that happened to somebody in your family or whatever, but you don't have to live through it. You don't have to suffer through it if you don't want to. If you want to still be there and be a part of your family, you can live alone and be single and still do that too. You know, it doesn't mean that just because you're single that you're uncaring. It doesn't mean that you don't want to help those you still love and those that are in your life. So let's get that straight, too. Single people are not inherently cold. Single people are not uh, built to uh, turn their backs on their fellow man. That's not why they're single. Um, you know, nobody knows uh, why each and every one of us is single. So, um, uh, you know, there but for the grace of God go you. And um, unless you've walked in their shoes, et cetera, et cetera, I would advise you to be careful uh, about judging the single because for the most part, uh, it could be you tomorrow and it could be you for the rest of your life before you know it in the blink of an eye. And um, and you might love it because there's a lot of good things to it. There are there are benefits, including waking up on a Saturday and saying, you know, I don't have to do anything today if I don't want to. 
anything, nothing. And nobody's going to make me feel bad about that. Nobody is here to make me feel guilty if I never do a damn thing today. Except me. If I feel guilty, if I want to do something, then I'll do something. But if I don't want to, the only one that can make me feel bad about that is me. And that's a wonderful thing. That's true freedom. That is true liberty. And um, I guess in the end, that's the best thing about being alone and being single is that there is true liberty in it. And um, if you are like me, someone who is very into being independent and doing his own thing <clears throat> and has a <clears throat> has an inbred um, repugnance towards conformity, as I do, and um, just as from a small age, I just have had an aversion to um, following the herd and uh, not to the point where I devise crazy conspiracy theories, but just, I just look at them all eager, so eager, so many of them to drive the same car, wear the same shoes, um, join a club. And I just didn't relate to it. I never did. I never really aspired to, uh, you know, be in a group of any kind um, or to be seen as normal. I never had uh, some underlying need to be normal. Um, And I wouldn't say quite the opposite. I wouldn't say I liked being a weirdo or I wanted to be an outsider. I don't think you have to want to be thought of poorly uh, when you don't want to just be with everyone else. In fact, just the opposite. I, I tend to think of people who do their own thing as, you know, I think better of them. So I don't think of them as weirdos or odd or strange. I just think of them as interesting. I think of them as more uh, compelling. Uh, and I want to get to know them more and I want to get to know why. They're doing X when everyone else is doing Y. I find them more fascinating, more worthy of my uh, attention. Because, you know, the masses pretty much do the thing. Let's be honest. It's pretty much what all of us kind of are instinctual, what we would instinctually think to do. But that may not be what we want to do. And what I've always thought about being independent is it's the the difference between just sort of being an animal and doing what the herd does because it is our natural inclination, not just because the herd does it, not just you have to do it, follow the herd, but really they're doing the thing that most of us instinctually do tend towards. That's why it's the normal thing, the quote unquote normal thing. It's not because somebody forced someone and then everyone fell in line. That's the paranoid's view of the world. That's the crazy people and the conspiracy theorists who who act like that's what's going on, that everyone's being brainwashed and forced. That's not the truth. The truth is that when there is a, when the masses like a certain type of music or a certain type of movie or a certain type of food, it's because it's kind of what they it's just natural to like it. That's what most people tend towards. These things that are in us already these sort of unoriginal urges, these animal, the more animalistic side of us. It's, it's just sort of going with the natural flow. Like birds that fly together, you know, they're just doing it because it's their natural instinctual need to let's flock and fly south for the winter. Um, or ants that work together to build an anthill. Uh, they didn't talk about that. They didn't, They didn't say, hmm, is this what I want to do? They're just doing it because it's what they were built to do as ants. It's part of them. And we have a lot of that in us. We have great brains and we have the ability to to think for ourselves and to reason and to make choices, which sets us apart from every other living creature on the planet. But along with that, we have the animal instinct that all other creatures on the planet, including insects, have. Um, We have this drive to be a certain way and we just go there and gravitate towards it without thinking. And that's what 
most of our culture does. They don't complicate things with their own reason. They don't, the way I look at it, though, they don't take advantage of the very thing that makes them special, which is that ability to make a choice and to reason and to decide something different from their first impulse or inclination to stop themselves from doing what their animal side would have led them to do and to decide to do something else. Because really, when they think about it, they would prefer this other thing, either because it will be better for them in the long run, or it's something that's just better innately. And they just wouldn't have gone that way if they hadn't stopped to look and notice. And that's what comes from reading. You see options. You give yourself choices. When you investigate, reading is a form of investigation. When you learn about things, you learn about options. You learn about alternatives that other people who didn't take the time to read aren't aware of. So they're following a certain path because it's their instinct or they heard about it through a friend or whatever, and they that's just all they know. And they think that's the way to go, but they don't know what the other ways to go are. So what reading is, what investigating is, it's learning about choices so that you can use the very best trait that you have, which is your ability to make choices and to reason. It's the thing that sets you apart from all other living creatures. So use it. And so to me, being independent and being alone is a process of choosing something that's abnormal, that isn't what most of us gravitate towards, but that can absolutely be intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, extremely rewarding, and in a lot of ways better than the alternative, which is the normal gravitation towards companionship, partnership. And um, I feel the same way about not having a family versus the natural inclination to procreate which is in us, that natural drive to create more. God put it there, nature put it there, whatever, take your pick. But obviously, as Jeff Goldblum said in Jurassic Park, Park nature will find a way. <laughs> you know, it does. Life finds a way. Life finds a way. Um, and so human beings want to live. And so they are naturally drawn towards procreation to help their species survive. But it may be better for you and others to think and stop and say, I'm not really built to be the greatest parent. I'm not really the type of person who needs to create other life. I don't really seem to get the same thrill or joy out of it that these parents do when they look at their little baby. I don't really feel that way about babies. Whatever light they have in their eye, whatever thing they're talking about, I don't relate to it. So I'd be better off not doing that. And I don't need to do that. So I'm going to choose this other path. And it doesn't mean I'm cold or I'm selfish. It's just I'm going the path that suits what I'm more what I'm more about as opposed to what everyone else is about. So these are choices. That's just one of them. The people I'm not talking about myself, by the way, I had children. I chose to have children. I always knew I wanted to have children. When I was younger, I imagined being a father and having my own children and the way that would go. And I always liked the thought of that very much. So uh, I wasn't presenting that example as for myself. I'm just saying, that could be you. You could be someone who just doesn't want to have children, and that's fine if that's what you think about it, if you feel different from others that way. It's good to be in touch with yourself, to investigate the options, to read, to learn, to know alternatives, and to use your greatest gift, your most wonderful trait that you have, the ability to reason and make a choice different from what your instinct might have otherwise led you toward. That is is what's beautiful about being a human being. That's the most beautiful thing about being human. And so that's what I'll end this podcast by saying. I think being alone is an ode in and of itself to the most beautiful thing about being human. Because it is much more than we care to realize, a choice that we have made. It isn't 
a fate that has befallen us because no one has chosen us. Although it can be. (laughs) It was in my early days after my divorce. I was looking. I wanted a companion and I couldn't find one. And I would have, you know, dating episodes. But and that was really hard and hurtful. Because I was trying to choose companionship and it wasn't choosing me back. And it felt like the worst kind of defeat you could imagine. It felt like getting dumped over and over and over again. Even when I wasn't even being dumped, I just was not connecting in the first place. But when I chose not to look for companionship, when I chose to accept my solitude, and to live a life alone, and if a companion comes, so be it, suddenly all of that grief and worry and defeat and constant pain disappeared. And I didn't feel that I was being dumped over and over again. I felt like I was being discovered every day, something new about me. And I think that is the most beautiful thing is that every day you can make this choice when you accept your solitude and your singledom, you can choose within that singledom, singletonness, singularianish. I don't know the word for singleness, singledom. I don't know. I'm just, I'm brainstorming here. I really, yeah. Um, when, you, when you're single, you can make the choice each day as to what to do with that. It's your time, and you are therefore a human being every day, a rational, reasonable, choice-making homo sapien every single day, and that's a beautiful thing, and you know, people with partners don't have that luxury the way you do, so be happy to be alone. Be happy to be single, and enjoy your single day today. I'm going to. I love you. Yabba da boop